0: This is Matt, and this is What Did We Miss?, the podcast where we explore our pop culture blind spots one episode at a time. Okay, hey, everybody. Um, so, a little housekeeping up front. Um, you'll notice that I am by myself, and um, if you've been listening to the show for a while now, you'll know that my co-host Tony and his wife were expecting twins. Well, the twins have arrived. Huzzah! Uh, which is exciting stuff. Um And Tony is kind of uh, obviously super busy taking care of some infants. So um, we're going to try and uh, continue the show as much as we can. So we're going to have, for the next uh, few episodes, some guests on. And and hopefully Tony will be able to pop in here and there. And uh, hopefully when he listens to these, he's not like, Matt, why are you ruining our show? Um, But anyway... Um, so I'm joined uh, with a special guest today of the Bartholomew Town podcast, uh, Bill Bartholomew. Hey, thanks for having me, brother. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for thanks for coming on. Um,
1: we've we've known each other for quite a while. Shockingly, yeah. I mean, I've known of you even longer than we've n- known each other because of Hitler stole my potato gun and <laughs> sort of like swimming in the pool of there. We both went. I guess there was sort of this like parallel relationship between our high schools and the bands that kind of came out of our high schools. So yeah, as a fan of that and then eventually getting involved as a musician in that world that you were already occupying with great success. (laughs) That's debatable. (laughs) Well, yeah, look out.
0: (laughs) I think the first time that we actually started to communicate was when, um, my second band without Andy, or that might be my third, I'm, or that's irrelevant, but <laughs> another band I was in without Andy, uh, we were playing the URI Coffee Shop. Uh, they would do gigs like all the time. And uh, your band, Acid Rain Revival, uh, used, we used to play together all the time. Uh, and then I believe we were introduced because we had mutual friends, and that's uh, former guests and future guests of our show, uh, Chris Knott. Uh-oh, Look out. Uh, he's actually coming on he's going to be on the next episode but I don't want to spoil anything getting ahead of myself so uh, yeah so and then you know because of Chris I just think we were kind of in those same circles and playing gigs every once in a while together and heading up to uh, Brooklyn when you were living there and living with Chris and and watching you gig there and all that stuff Um, but it's funny because you know I've known you as this kind of working musician for, uh, you know, as long as I've known you. This guy that's always hustling uh, for the gig. Uh, and I always admired that. Um, and then, I don't know when it happened, but you kind of became the political guy. <laughs> um, and, and and I guess it's just, you know, w- with your podcast, uh, Bartholomew Town. Um, so w- why don't you uh, tell our listeners, you know, w- what the podcast is, and you know what' your
1: i don't know your mission statement is well, number one, I guess you know for, for sure, I agree that I was dead focused on music for really for a decade i'd say I was to the point where that I, I was living in a pickle factory, which we turned into a venue and in, in Brooklyn, and was just totally one hundred percent dedicating myself to music but the result was somewhat unsatisfying because of the the odd jobs I'd be working and and so on and so forth. And I felt like over the course of the decade that I was really just 100% in on music. I was getting less and less excited about music, writing shittier and shittier songs, and having you know not not entirely, but just not feeling the same energy I felt when I was getting started. I guess that's kind of natural. Um, you know, I never really got to a point where I felt, I felt like I was having great success with it, although, you know, we had some, some moments where there were, you know, a ton of adrenaline and excitement and, and cool stuff happened, for sure, in that period. But I've always been um, a radio head, but a talk radio junkie. And really, about the time, one of the things that connected Chris Knott and I for sure, back in like 2003 was we both loved this sports talk radio station WEEI, which is based out of Boston. and at that point, I really started to feel like talk radio was very much aligned with music for me. the cadence, the content, just I, I listened to it with the same interest, and it played a very similar role in my life as, as a fan um, and. Again, not to, not to say that I abandoned music. I mean, I literally just a few moments ago played a, a, a set of new originals on a, on a live stream for PVD Live um, I, and still in a band called Silver Teeth with my wife, Gabriella, that is, you know, it's, it's, it, we're not particularly active at the moment, but it's still a thing. And I still consider myself a singer, songwriter, musician, you know, when I wake up in the morning. But we moved back from Brooklyn after I was there for a decade, we moved to Newport, Rhode Island in 2016. And I discovered WPRO, which is in Rhode Island, it's a talk radio station that is fairly unique around the country in that it's live local political talk from 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. And I just fell in love with the station. Now, it leans conservative, which for me was great because I started to call the station as William in Newport in 2016 and I would push back and get into these crazy debates and all of a sudden start after I guess you know a few months of doing that it's it's started to feel like well why don't you know why don't I try to find a way to express what I'm doing in these call-ins instead of in a minute in some other format and I I wonder should I go back to school and and, you know get into broadcasting from a production side to maybe try to get a job at channel 10 you know editing or something like that And my wife Gabriella suggested, well, why don't you start a podcast? You know, why not? Um, And I I didn't listen to a lot of podcasts or or any really. I was still a talk radio junkie, but the the thought of of applying what I had approached how I had approached music in a DIY, you know, marrying some of the things that happen on the national stage with what you can make on your own. Know that that sort of planted in my head, and I guess you know it kind of just happened. I in 2016, obviously, Trump won, and I remember that next day waking up and feeling like, Wow, you know, um, this is a moment to get involved. The day after Trump won, this is a moment to get involved in politics, and I didn't really want to do activism, I certainly didn't want to run for any office or anything, and it just kind of clicked where, all right, let's marry the creative production aspects of making music, writing songs with the content that I was trying to deliver as a talk radio caller with the um, urgency of the moment in the post-Trump, or or the post-Trump, unfortunately, the (laughs) post-Trump victory era. In 2017, I wrote to Lieutenant Governor, Rhode Island Lieutenant Governor Dan McKee, I figure, I'll start there. I mean, the lieutenant governor, what does he do? And really, other than advocating for things, the Rhode Island lieutenant governor doesn't have a particularly big role. So I thought, all right, maybe I'll have a shot at having this guy on my podcast. And he said he would come on. And I spent another year as a caller to WPRO, now calling all five shows every day and really studying Rhode Island politics, the players, the people behind the scenes, the the media members. you know, everybody involved. And in early 2018, I was like, all right, I have enough. Let me write. I have enough background. Let me write to McKee, Lieutenant Governor McKee, and see if right after a year of, of of a year later, let's see if he'll actually come on the show still that I now, you know, decided to do. And sure enough, he agreed to come on and episode one was me having an hour and a half conversation with the Lieutenant Governor. And now i am at episode 206, um, it just, it just happened in a way that I was never really able to get anything going before where it really organically gained legs. I started to see the numbers go way past what I would have thought um, would be possible. And it just kind of took off. It just, there was no Rhode Island political podcast, yet there is a huge audience for that in the sense that we have this station that is running all day you know, with live local talk in WPRO. We have an NPR station. We have a lot of, um, we have a couple of uh, statewide newspapers. We have a lot of local newspapers, three television stations, blogs all over the place. So there's a lot of interest in that content, but no one was doing a podcast. So I just kind of took that space and ran with it. Now it's a thing, you know, and um, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of stuck with it in a sense. And I'm, I'm very <laughs> happy to be, I love it, but it just happened. That's the, really yeah. the only way I can say it. There's, I, I, I worked really hard at it for sure, but the audience and the interest in it was, was organic. And in music, I feel like you know, you have your core audience when you're a, a local or independent band, but a lot of times you feel like you're forcing people like, or, or you're trying to, like you say, chase the gig. Like, I'm going to get this moment. I'm going to play X festival and then boom, it'll all happen. With this podcast, it was a very gradual build but I felt like the audience that I was building was sticking with me as I moved along. So it again, just over the course of two years, that audience grew to be something that I felt obligated to serve, and I'm sure you feel the same way with your podcast. And I started to get some higher profile opportunities. I got a, um, I became a fill in host on that station, WPRO, which was is still surreal to me. It's a dream come true, and. That expanded the audience greatly. I became a, a panelist on Rhode Island PBS's political show, um, something that I also obsessively watched. So that was another very surreal moment to be inside of it. That expanded the audience greatly. And now I feel like I have the trust of a lot of the, the political leaders, other media members in enough where I can express my opinion, but I can also... I have republican friends and people who i completely disagree with but i i love you know as human beings um i have have i've competitors if you will in in the talk radio and and i guess talk space that i disagree with but you know i absolutely love and and it just kind of happened it just became my life and i don't know where it turned i don't know where the moment was where podcasting and being the political guy shifted from to be my focus and what I guess my identity was, but somewhere along the line that happened and, but to to be honest, music and being a musician is something that's really critical to how I approach this political world. And I think having long hair cut off Dickies, you know, a little bit of, you know, using slang or whatever on Twitter that helped set me apart from some of the other people, not not to make fun of them, but some people are real buttoned up and they went to this journalism school and here they are and They're they're telling you exactly what they think. And, and I think being a little bit more irreverent helped me stand out and also entertain people um, that typically were, were really bored with the way that this content was delivered.
0: I also think that um, it, it's sort of like this singular man on the streets kind of approach like again you took that kind of hustle that you brought to being a musician to what you do um and 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 it's almost like you've cut out like this sort of middleman because like so much of the media is feeding this bigger beast all the time and you don't have to do that you're just kind of you've created your kind of um your own kind of niche kind of thing where you're like no i'm gonna build the audience for this thing that that uh you know, there's people that are craving that kind of, um, direct, um, access that you've been given. Uh, and I know now that, you know, the coronavirus is this, you know, the soup de jour, <laughs> uh, that for me being, um, a working photographer and, and not being able to work and, and being stuck at home, I know that, um, your access to a lot of the, um, the daily um press conference
1: slash yeah. speeches whatever you want to call them yeah. yeah
0: but your access to that and then your kind of immediate impressions of things and all that stuff has been helpful for me and, and for for meg for our businesses um so uh which is interesting to think that you know this 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 rocker that i've known for for almost 20 years now is is this guy that uh i've kind of come to for a lot of local stuff
1: well i appreciate that a lot um you know, it, having the access to whatever, it, it, you know, it could be the, you know, the mayor of Newport or obviously the governor of the state, you know, it's not lost on me that that's an opportunity. And that's something that does make me take it very seriously, you know, as an ambassador, if you will. Um, and again, not to suggest that people who are in the, the mainstream media are asking questions based on an agenda or anything like that, but it does help. I don't have an editor. I don't have any advertisers to not piss off. Um, And I trust that the people inside Rhode Island politics uh, in in the state house or wherever they, they know that I'll, I'm not going to be ranting about untruths. And if I'm ranting about something or suggesting something, it's probably based on my impression, which is informed by observing What's been going on? You know, I I don't. There are people in the state. You know, like John DePietro is a talk host that is. You know, he'll rant about illegals. They eat pigeons for Thanksgiving and things like that. And you know, I obviously I would never. I fundamentally don't believe that, but I I don't go there. I try not to go into the shock value type of, of approach. Um, I feel like it's more entertaining to not go there and to be more like traditional media voice guy um and and at the same time, blend that with a, a little bit of irreverence and you know just not trying to appear like i'm I'm on the six o'clock news
0: i'm I'm sure that's not easy to balance either um I know that you're um you use social media pretty heavily to promote the show but also to kind of talk about. You know the things that you're experiencing, um, and and I've noticed with within that you know within the comments that they kind of run the gamut. Like it could be uh, all over the place for people where you're just like, oh, how, how does anybody believe this? To you know, thoughtful conversations and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, no question. And there are people that you know a lot of times when someone makes a comment that is extremely insensitive or is is ignorant. You know, I try to empathize with them, and and sometimes I even feel bad. Like I, I was at this rally a couple, a couple of weeks ago now for people who wanted to reopen the state. Everyone's wearing Trump banners, and they're, they, you know, no one's wearing a mask, and it's that G- John is there giving a speech, and and I took this photo of this woman. She was smoking a cigarette, and she was kind of heavy set, and she had a "knock it off, Gina, open up the state" sign, and not wearing a mask. And I took a photo of her and posted it and people were ripping her or whatever. And then later that night, I was like, man, I I feel so bad um, because this person, I, I don't want to make fun of this person. This person obviously truly believes that the new world order or whatever is up against her business or her family's um, you know, well-being and she's out there expressing it. And so I've tried to not fight. What I see is either hate or ignorance. With with hate, and when I do, I genuinely feel bad for for you know my conscience tells me, man, that's not the right direction to go. Um, now at the same time, you know, and you may have experienced this as well. When growing, when Trump won, a lot of people were shocked. You know, I wasn't at all. I was like, oh yeah, that's those are the guys who threw the dodgeball in my face in sixth grade gym class, like in rural. It's not exclusively rural, but in rural America, there is this um, strain of feeling overlooked or feeling, you know, no exposure to anybody other than white, middle class people. And I think that that dialogue spawned Trump and it's very real. And, and so I almost feel bad for a lot of these people that comment on my, my posts and, and I try to reason with them and say, hey, look, you know, I'm just telling you you know, if the doctor says, if, if the, the state department of health says you should wear a mask when you're out in public, I'm not, I don't care. I'm not a mask. I'm not like a mask advocate in general, but I'll follow that expertise. And it exposes, there's just this, this great distaste for expertise by a certain segment of the population. And a lot of those people, frankly, were the same folks that were bullies You know, basketball players, you know, et cetera, in in my high school. And that not entirely, but there's a lot of overlap there. Um, So it is hard to not push back and say, you know, hey, you guys are a bunch of freaking idiots. Um, And I have to bite my tongue a lot. Um, But I try to have that empathy and remember look, these guys probably grew up in Hopkinton. You know, they've been working as a laying asphalt or whatever job in Hopkinton you know, to them, Westerly is the big city and they have no ability to really understand the plight that somebody in Central Falls might be having right now. So, you know, I try to apply that. Sometimes I, I end up going, going off and I've been going off a little bit more lately on some people, but it's hard. That is the hardest part about this whole thing. I can imagine too, like
0: um, and not that I directly deal with um, people that I fundamentally disagree with uh, on a consistent basis, but I think when you see so much misinformation um, being shared, uh, and, and then things, um, you know, coming into contact with people who believe things that are fundamentally hurting other people. And so it's hard to be like, oh, I need to be compassionate because they're misinformed. Um, not necessarily like, well, what you believe is hurting people. So therefore, I need to shut you out, uh, which is a really, really difficult thing to do. Um, and I've I've noticed that too, with, you know, with some friends and family members. And it's just, I can't, I, I just don't engage necessarily. Like, it's just kind of, Okay. And then I go and I vent to friends or something like that. And, um, or, or, or Meg or, or something. And, uh, but it can feel overwhelming. Uh, so, uh,
1: I admire, uh, your approach. It's really also, there's a part of me that I feel like when you look at somebody that is so angry with the world, you know, I remember, look, there are things that make me angry still. And, and sometimes there, obviously there are a bunch of things that perpetual anger that I have frustration that I have that I have to deal with. And, you know, I just feel like these people haven't dealt with it, you know, and that's, and they probably think the same thing of me. Like, I'm sure that there are people who think, look at this clown, you know, who does he think he is? You know what I mean? How, what is he doing? You know, he has no business, you know, giving an opinion about any of this stuff what have you accomplished in in the medical space or in in the legal space or whatever but my thought is that with reflection and like i think like i said at the top of the conversation here i decided to do the podcast in 2000 in early 2017 and then prepared for a year before i ever recorded an episode so i think my frustration is with people who don't take the time to research a balanced perspective and then come back. You know, there are people that I just fundamentally disagree with. Like Matt Allen is a radio host and a podcast host here in, in Rhode Island that there are things that this guy and I just totally disagree with. Like he, he, he cannot understand why I would be reporting that people in Narragansett moved parking barricades and went to the beach this past weekend. He's like, you're, I'm gonna change that. you should change the name of your podcast to Karen Town. You know, you're what do you you're a rat? And it's like Matt, I'm not the point is to say, hey, look, people in Narragansett are are doing this while in Central Falls, 30% of the population has tested positive for COVID nineteen, you know, like twenty five minutes away. You know, to me, that's disrespectful. To him, it's disrespectful for me to call out the people in Narragansett. And we'll probably never agree. At the same time, I love the guy. He's a good hearted person. I mean I've, I've seen him one-on-one with kids or, you know, I've, I've heard him cry on air about things, you know, so he's a, he's a good person, but we just disagree about what is right and wrong in some cases. So it's important to remember that. And I'm, I learn that a little bit every day um, on Facebook with some of these comments that these maniacs leave. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, um, so you're here on our show and um, we talk about pop culture, and and we like to fill in pop culture blind spots. So we're gonna do something a little different um, today. Uh, And instead of doing a deep dive on something, uh, we're actually going to talk a little more broadly about um, some local stuff. Um, And everything we've covered on the show is, uh, you know, we've covered stuff throughout the world. We've covered German silent films and um, stuff from the states, obviously, and we have uh, we've done some kung fu and whatnot, but we've really never done anything local. Um, so for the purpose of this episode, we're gonna kind of have a conversation and you're gonna fill me in on some local podcasts and music uh, and talk radio stuff and things that really I don't know too too much about. Uh, and And you know, we used to play music together all the time, but I'm pretty much, I'm pretty out of the loop when it comes to local music now. Uh, I just play for myself in in my little studio. You got that uh, keyboard
1: right there. We got a Rhodes, and what's that yeah, on top? Yeah, that's of a Rhodes. Rhodes.
0: Oh, that that is a. Uh, it's a realistic. Uh, it was made by Moog for um, Radio Shack, so he designed it as like a consumer Moog. Uh, so not a lot of people know that it's like a Moog, but it's polyphonic, so it's it's really cool. It's really weird. Um yeah. You can't see over here, but I just got an electronic drum set and I'm pretty jazz. I've been playing it every day.
1: So you're it's an actual you're manipulating it with sticks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what's interesting is you you as an artist were very inspiring to me as a singing drummer. You know, that's that's something that both Chris Knott and I that that um when we started our band, commas, he and I traded off. He would play drums on my songs and I would play drums on his and then and, and, but we would sing harmonies together And singing lead vocals and playing drums is something that is so difficult. I've never really had the guts to go all in on that. And it's something I'd love to do sometime. I mean, I, I I mean, what, what is that like? I mean, I know. (laughs) I, I
0: think, uh, you know, at the time, like when my first band, Hitler stole my potato, we had a singer. And then when he left the band, uh, and, and, me and Chris Chilton, we decided to continue the band, uh, and we got some some replacements. Um, I think we had auditioned some people to sing, and, and I had interest in it. Um, and I was playing guitar on my own and, and writing songs with Chris. Um, And so I think it just felt like, well, this is something I want to do and and why bother looking and I'll just sing and and play drums. Uh, And there are are points uh, throughout the arcs of the different bands I've been in where we'd be like, well, let's get Matt out from the drums and just have him sing and we'd try out some drummers and it just never felt right until the end when um, I started switching things up and we like what you did with Chris, we'd kind of switch instruments and stuff like that. I think in some ways it was, you know, it was distinctive uh, and people would notice us for having the singing drummer, but it was also in some ways kind of detrimental to maybe my drumming and my singing, because, you know, when you're a singer, you're supposed to be, you're supposed to have good posture, you know, and, and so singing while drumming, while playing some energetic music, you know... The drum sets moving and shifting and and then the microphone stand is moving and like um so this the i would always be slunched like hunched over and uh so sometimes it was a struggle and it probably taught me some bad singing techniques that i'm have to accommodate for now um but you know it was still cool it was fun and, and you know it, it it was what it was uh it, it was never necessarily easy um and it's funny because um, I've lived in some loft spaces for the past since 2012. Uh, so that's not conducive for setting up a drum set. So I haven't really played in in, in quite a while. Um, so to get the kit and be able to play and not be disruptive was, was really pretty wonderful. Um, but my stamina isn't what it used to be. <laughs> so I've been going down for the, now that I haven't been working and in between... You know, uh, trying to maintain our home uh, and corresponding with clients um, and keeping up with back end stuff. I come down and try and play for like an hour a day to build up my stamina again and stuff. Um, so it's fun, yeah, uh, yeah. So let's let's get into it. So uh, local music, what what's
1: going on? Fill me in. So Providence, when I first when when we first moved back here, there was this big folk scene indie folk was was all the rage and providence had a pretty notable indie folk scene you know this band the low anthem was here um i'm I'm familiar with them i don't know too
0: much about their music
1: yeah they they arguably made their best music in like the the aughts and then kind of shifted into a more experimental mode but they they were involved in the columbus theater reopening and that became this hub um, there were some other people that came along that were you know who have now since fallen from grace for some bad uh behavior We'll say um that that tied them into that tied that scene into the newport folk festival um and to me, that was the heart of providence when in like the two thousand twelve through probably two thousand eighteen moment, um this indie folk sound that wasn't really what what I'd ever done, you know, I felt I never felt like purely tied into that. This borrowed from a little bit of like a traditional sound mixed with, you know, kind of the stomp folk thing, uh a lot of beards and fancy felt hats, you know, a, a lot of uniformity. Um and that as that's fallen out of flavor and and the attention has sort of shifted away from that in the last few years, I have found that Providence right now is in this really, and and Rhode Island at large, Providence, Newport, South County, is in this really fascinating moment of there is no singular sound that is dominating the scene. You know, at one point, it was Lightning Bolt and Black Dice, Arab on Radar slash Chinese Stars. That was... Daughters. Yeah, sure. The 2000s, early 2000s. And I think then it went to the indie folk sound in that period, Sage Francis and B. Dolan and the strange famous hip hop scene really emerged as well on a national level. But now we have a moment where there's not one particular sonic palette that describes the scene. It's more about just original, interesting music, um, which I think is extremely exciting. And it reminds me of playing at the 193 degree coffeehouse at URI back in the early 2000s where you'd have, A band like Can't Face the Falling mixed, which was sort of, not sort of, was a a, a female uh, emo band um, mixed with Acid Rain Revival, which was kind of this goofy, you know, rock outfit mixed with Without Andy, which was like eventually moving towards this radiohead infused, a little bit of emo, a a lot of indie rock elements, almost like a cursive vibe at times. Um, and we could play a show together and then have some singer-songwriter open up, like have Chris not, uh, with The Big Lie, his singer-songwriter act, and we could have a really eclectic sound. Uh, pardon me, an eclectic night. I think we're heading there now, and we may be in this moment again. And probably the most interesting record that's that's out there right now is, is the new music from Nova One, which is Roz Raskin. From Roz and the Rice Cakes. Roz and the Rice Cakes. Really sophisticated indie music that is it's almost like 50s like a mix of 50s pop in in there too big time just good songwriting and unfortunately this new music is coming out in the midst of corona and i'm not sure what the numbers are but i would be willing to bet that people who are putting out new music now are not having a ton of success um because of the inundation of content on you know, everybody's grandma's doing a live stream now on Facebook. Yeah. So it's difficult to stick out in a way. Um, so it really is a blind spot, even locally that there's this great record that's out there. Nova one, um, like you say, fifties pop mi- mixed with the big, nice studio sound. Big, nice is Brad Krieger, uh, this beautiful studio up in the woods in Lincoln. And he's got a sound he's producing, it's a DIY sound, but he went to audio engineering school. He's from Boston. No, he's from Rhode Island, but he lives in Boston. So it's this marriage of, um, you know, this DIY reverb soaked, cool, weird instruments, but well produced, well thought out Pro Tools tracks. So it's not just garage sounding. To me, that is sort of the epicenter of music right now in the Ocean State. Um, good songwriting. And it's fascinating that it it hasn't blown up more around here. It's actually kind of discouraging that it's not as popular. And I think it will with time get to a point where more people are talking about this music um, outside of the music inside baseball crowd. But
0: do you think that's part partly because we're just digesting music in different ways now? Like everyone is more apt to download stuff on Spotify and, and, And again, like I'm out of the live loop, but what are live shows like now? Like, is that something that like, are people still going to a lot of shows? Because I know there aren't nearly as many
1: venues as when we were both coming up. Yeah, I don't think so. I found that with, with Silver Teeth in Rhode Island, we had better shows, you know, in the beginning of our run up in Rhode Island, like 2015 and 16. And by last year, I felt like there was... Shows we'd go watch, shows we'd play, less new faces, less younger faces, you know. And I went into Guitar Center, like, a couple months ago and bought this new drum machine. And, you know, I, that, you know, freaking Guitar Center. But, you know, I went in there, and there's no kids playing Crazy Train, you know. (laughs) That's a double-edged sword though because,
0: <laughs> because I mean like I've always said that my I my version of hell which uh if it exists this is where I'll be going it would be me continually walking into guitar center and someone saying, "Hey man, you a musician? What can I help you with, man?" Oh, that's awesome, man. Right? Okay, cool. And then there's like 50 million people playing competing Metallica riffs and and three drummers playing at the same time. And that's, that's my perception of hell.
1: Yeah, I worked at Guitar Center in Brooklyn for three months and um, I sold zero items. I, I literally, the manager was like, y- y- yeah, you're terrible at this job. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I couldn't convince people to spend $500 on some crappy guitar, you know, I couldn't yeah. do it. And, and I just had to hide from that exact cacophony that you described. In fact, if I hear a band that sucks, um, you know, it reminds me of Guitar Center. That's like the first thing I think of is, wow, you know, you guys need to, you know, that it, 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 it sucks because of a lack of care for the audience, you know what I mean? They're just, when you just go for it. And, but but I think shows in Rhode Island, it seems like, you know, I've, I've seen some great shows at the Columbus Theater that have national acts, people who are, this kid, Charlie Crockett, you know, he's packing out, dance halls in Austin you know he's just like totally blowing up you know what I mean playing the Newport Folk Festival Austin City Limits whatever and then I've gone to the Columbus Theater in Providence and there's like 15 people there to see him so that's it it may be a, a Rhode Island thing where shows are and it was a Brooklyn thing as well but where shows are less important to people to consume music or to get an experience I think social media gives people, especially Instagram, it gives you that connection. And then everyone is probably more focused on singles and songs that a Spotify playlist versus building a relationship with an artist so that the set list or the variation from night to night matters. But I think shows in general have been in decline. Now, there's still some amazing moments, but that's just my perception as a a listener, even more so than an artist that. There's just less interest in the live show experience than there was for the previous 60 years of Western pop music.
0: Yeah, uh, um, yeah, it's tricky. We we did an episode um, a, f- uh, a few months back on um, the best music of the uh, 2010s, and what we did is I went to a bunch of different music websites um, took all their best of the decade lists and did like a cumulative total. And we, that came with our top five. And it was the type of stuff that you don't typically see in clubs. And, um, it's stuff that's critically acclaimed, but also relatively popular. So you have, you know, Beyonce and and Kanye and, and Kendrick Lamar and Frank Ocean and stuff like that is, is, um, really successful, and and those people are also playing big, big shows. Um, But I can imagine, too, that um, a lot of younger kids are trying to emulate something like that, and that's not something that you're necessarily booking as much shows. Again, that could be my limited perception of at least Rhode Island's local music and stuff like that. Um, There could be lots of little mini Frank Oceans uh, playing all the shows around here. But um, that's not something that you... At least like growing up, uh, the indie scene was a vastly different beast than what it is now.
1: No question. The VFW shows, you know, the the, the Kent County YMCA getting banned from renting certain places. Obviously, the living room here. Those were, frankly, the station as well. You know, those were and the Met Century Lounge. You know, those were critical places to be. You know, that's where, that's where I wanted to be, you know, on, I, I look forward to being in there. That was yeah. a safe space to be in every weekend, every week, like literally yeah. that's, that was the spot. I don't think that that is there at, at least from my perspective, you know, and I kind of alluded to this as well, where like my podcast has organically grown where yes, I'm pushing it. I'm a, I'm a self promoter. I put posters up the same way I'm, I'm doing, making stickers, all those tricks of the DIY music circuit but the response is there because now people can just say oh good my phone I'll put it great done it's on my phone I'll listen once in a while I'll listen every time whatever the show still requires you to turn up and put in time that's not on demand you know you can't pause it and come back later and I've listened to some of your episodes and I can't remember which show it was but you had said you'd um you'd I wish I remember off the top of my head because now this is dumb, but you had mentioned a series that you had, maybe it was Mad Men that you'd listened to or you hadn't watched in, in years and then went back to it. Um, you know, you were able to finish right now. I'm watching the Sopranos. I, I, I can't say that I've made it past a few episodes in the 2010s, but now here I am back in it, found the space, found the time. You can't do that with a live show. And I wonder if that's, the main factor in why places like dusk and the askew around, you know, the smaller Providence venues. Yeah. They have their audience. They have their core base. They have some big shows, but it's not like every weekend you turn up, regardless of who's playing, you get that 150, 250 um, pool of people who are just live show junkies mixed with people who are extremely curious about seeing that part- particular band on that, that weekend. I think that it's, it's a little bit more now of people who are from the old school or people who are genuinely enthralled with the the idea of their friends are playing a show of any kind and they'll go once, you know, and then it, it doesn't build like a snowball effect in the same way it used to. It could also be too, that with the accessibility of
0: equipment and recording gear like, um, I have like a little recording box here which was really only 250 bucks and it's way better than anything I used to use when I was younger and doing demos and recording things. But you can also, you have GarageBand on your phone. So I think what's happening too is that more and more people are crafting things and there's more, um, you know, the SoundCloud artist is, is a thing. And so there are more and more people that are recording more and maybe not performing as much, especially if you're doing something that's more R&B or electronic based. And that stuff is going to live online, where you, like you said, you can come back to it and, um, and treat it like an album. And people are constantly putting up new stuff on SoundCloud, and there are a lot of artists, up and coming artists, that get their start on SoundCloud. Someone just discovers them, and it snowballs from there, as opposed to like a live setting. I don't know how that translates to to making it a profession. Uh, but I, I'm assuming it's still, it's still getting people to listen to your music, though.
1: Yeah, definitely. I remember probably 2005, I'm guessing, without Andy, had an opportunity. Some studio was going out of business, and you were in there for like a month or something like that. Is that is that accurate?
0: So, sort of, yeah. So I, I actually interned at the studio. So I had worked there... Um, on and off, um, in different capacities for maybe about a year. And this was called Sound Station Seven. And this was off of Federal Ave and it was an old, um, fire station. And so, uh, a band like us, um, you know, we didn't pay for our record. Um, so we would just kind of go in there and I believe we tracked most of it in a week, but then we just kind of go back and forth. And we were doing some weird shit, uh, as f- that a lot of bands really didn't, at least back then, because this is a good, I don't know, 17 years ago. Um, So we were doing some weird experimentation in the studio that would cost a ton of money. Um, So we were very fortunate um, that I had that connection at that time. The studio did go out of business. That's actually this Rhodes uh, electric piano that's behind me. Um, That's where I got it from. I got it from there. Um, going uh
1: their closing sale they sold like all their stuff that was in their studio I remember that record when it came out or I don't even know if it came I just remember hearing it and being like holy shit like how does anyone how do you do this you know you have xylophones and just like really killer songs well crafted well orchestrated I'm sure there were things that you were now you'd be like oh man that that drum take sucks or I wish I could hit that vocal again or whatever but in the moment, it was unique because up, you know, basically all Slick Willie, you know, another great Coventry band, they had a great sounding record, you know, but they were a tight punk, pop punk band, um, you know, and, and it, it, it could, it was simple to track, if you will. I remember Chris Knott and I, you know, getting into Pro Tools and being like, we have to be able to take the time to craft a record because back for me anyway the record was more like, "Alright, let's go in, let's get down what we do live." And then that's it. We you know, but the record crafting process, I think you're totally right now that is much more accessible where somebody can through MIDI just add road sounds and xylophone sounds, which I think were things that were totally unattainable in 2002, even 2007 it was a stretch to yeah. have a really good, well-crafted record and that's a huge difference now as well. And I, I listened back to some of the recordings that I did in that period where we'd go into a studio, Newcastle Sound in Barrington, which is still open with Acid Rain Revival or even commas and being like, wow, I don't even think this would pass for an iPhone demo today. <laughs> Be like, let's hit it again, you know, but that yeah. was the record. And you have that ability to have the patience and the time to, to flesh it out. And that's a huge shift as well, where now crafting a record is, is much more attainable and all is probably less focused on the live side. Uh, So a a couple of things
0: when, so my band without Andy um, towards the tail end, when we were playing gigs, we brought so much gear because uh, we were doing all these elaborate arrangements. So I would bring this giant electric piano and it's, it's massive, it's like Pink Floyd brought that on tour. Um, and I'd bring that and we'd have um, acoustic guitar and electric guitar and the electric piano had its own pedal board. My acoustic had its own pedal board. So we had so much gear. Now, the last batch of songs that I recorded, I got most of the synthesizer songs sounds from my phone. And so that, that's the difference, that's a world of difference. And, and, and that accessibility is extended to musicians everywhere. And it's amazing. And the other thing was, is this desire to do that type of uh, songwriting and, and crafting of and using the studio as a tool came from when I was young. One of the first things, um, musical things that I got aside from the drum set and my first guitar was a four track recorder. And unlike most people, who would just you know, plug in their guitar and lay down their lick. What I would do is I would lay down the lick and then I'd flip it over. Because when you'd flip over a four track cassette, it would reverse it. And that always appealed to me more than what I was actually doing. So it was always about like, well, that sounds so weird and strange and that's exciting to me. So, um, but again, nowadays you can just go into your app, and press reverse (laughs) and it reverses it, you know? And you hear that kind of attention to detail in pop music now. And like when we were younger, um, a lot of pop music was disposable and fluffy. Uh, And some of that's been reassessed now, but you you listen to something like Billie Eilish now and there's like so much attention to detail in, in, in how they approach their songs. And there's reverse stuff. And there's interesting layering of synthesizers and vocals and and things that we were doing in our little indie rock bands. And now that's kind of gone to the pop music side thing. And you're talking about that earlier about how the local scene with Rhode Island is all it's not one thing. And I think that's that's everywhere now. And that's exciting in in a lot of ways, because I know being when I was young, it was always like, It was like the schoolyard is like, no, we're the alternative kids. No, we're the hip hop kids. We're like the country kids, you know, and a lot of that stuff, everything's blending now. And even um, when you go to the folk festival, the Newport Folk Festival, like folk, like what does that even mean anymore? Like there's so many full bands there and stuff that really skirts the line and things that you're like, how can anyone perceive
1: of this as remotely folk? But, okay, you know, how is that folk? Or are the, these, these garage bands. They're, they're not, you know, but the brand yeah. has expanded um, far beyond what our conventional thought of that would be, you know. And, yeah, yeah it's very true. I, I can certainly say being in Brooklyn, at, in, in there were two distinct phases. One of them I'd call, like, the animal collective period or the national period, and there was a lot of diversity of sound but there was a very similar aesthetic to the music. The second period would be, I guess, what I call the Beach Fossils period, which is like 2012 on. And the bands, Real Estate, Beach Fossils, Dive, Heavenly Beat, I mean, you name it. They, they Dinosaur Feathers, they sound the same. Um, you know, they have a very similar sound, but the, what sets them apart is the attention to detail and how they make the record. Like you alluded to with the, all right, what what type of layering is happening what type of reverbs is happening um you know yes the template is is some soft guy singing like this and doing heroin you know (laughs) but it's 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 a different set of detail orientation and uh and hopefully we're heading to a period now where the marriage of those two philosophies is there where bands artists their unique sounding and their recording methods are unique and the re- the result is that diversity that we're alluding to here i i guess
0: yeah and then you know hopefully obviously with uh, the coronavirus you know live shows are not a thing at the moment um so hopefully there's whenever we get back to normal or normal ish Hopefully, there's a desire for that now because people have been cooped up, and and that could be a resurgence for live local stuff. Um, once once restrictions start to 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 be removed, before we move on to to podcasts, um, is there any other local acts that that are um, interesting to you right now?
1: Yeah, Jesse the Tree is a hip hop artist that is really kind of blending spoken word and hip hop and in a different way than Sage Francis or any of those cats did. And, uh, I, I, love him as a person. He's, he's really intuitive. And his sound is a perfect example of like just getting a beat off of YouTube and just riffing, you know, and, um, but in a way that is original. So it's, it's fascinating because he finds something that on the surface should just be, Easily, you know, somewhat dismissible as all right. This is just anybody going to an open mic, but he inserts his own style and his own approach in. And I guess this is all hip hop in, in in the origin, in a sense. Um But he he does it. He just does it in a really fascinating and intriguing way. It's really, it's captivating. And at the you know, similar to that, the the pool has widened where. I think a listener that loves Jesse the tree is probably apt to like a country singer now for the soulfulness, you know, that's exposed, not so much the sound or the background, but just like, all right, is this soulful or in introspective music? Um, or is it more just sort of uh fluff? I guess those are the two categories. Both have their value. I mean, fluff is good too. And for it's bubble gum or whatever it serves a purpose. But that's something that I find fascinating is that, and, and I saw a little bit of this in Brooklyn with this, with some people that were part of this Brooklyn wildlife crew of hip hop. That was more political and more, a lot of acoustic guitars involved and things like that. that but then, you know, then other hip hop I had been exposed to even indie hip hop. But I feel like there's this new marriage where, like I said, liter- literally literally, country hip-hop 50s pop with Roz and what she's doing um aggressive uh, punk it it really has come back to full circle to the point where it's all coming from the same source and it's for the same end game which is to to make you think about something and feel something
0: yeah uh Cool. Oh, so uh, on that note, too, uh, uh, back to Roz for a second. So the drummer of Roz and the Rice Cakes, uh, Casey, I don't know if you've ever met him. Um, a couple, Casey, with a couple of his co-workers at uh, Bolt Coffee, have a coffee-themed doom metal band that I'd like to mention called Burr. So Burr is, uh, uh, is like a, a coffee bean-related Tool thingy, and I'm butchering it. I'm sure if they were listening, they'd be like, We hate you, but um, bolt they tip the bolt cart over on your
1: podcast so yeah. right <laughs> <know.
0: laughs> They were like, What is wrong with you? You're getting it wrong, but anyway, they're called Burr B U R R. Um, and it's kind of like that, it's instrumental, kind of doom metal. Um, it's, it's real great and sludgy. Uh, um, and it, what I like about it, um, because a lot of that music really appeals to me but oftentimes i feel the cookie cutter aspect of the cookie monster vocals <laughs> you know i think that gets repetitive and i don't know oftentimes you know i need more a little more variation so to remove it entirely and just have that slow methodical kind of sludge kind of like electric wizard or a band like earth um is really interesting and so i uh, they
1: just put out a record too so i'd I check that out Casey Warren, great artist that uh, also has guitar center on his resume. Look out! He worked, I think he worked at the North Attleboro location, which is uh, it's a special one. You know, they have the acoustic corral tucked in the back there. Plenty of uh, plenty of activity. I believe that was the first one I ever went to. That's probably fire. was because it was always daddy's junkie music was the destination i remember we oh daddy's junkie music yeah hell yeah mark de all these uh all these characters yeah. there the guitar center in warwick opened up we were playing at the station acid rain used to play at the station all the time and um that was like that in the living room you know we'd play there at least once a month both those yeah days. we did too and yeah totally i remember the night guitar center opened we were like we because we, there, there was a legitimate sound check at the station you know they would have we snuck down there and we were so depressed because there was this big lineup around the, like all the way down to where target is now i think it was Leechmere at the time and you know it was like man this is the future of music right here man guitar center <laughs> it's coming to rhode island <laughs>
0: i remember uh, like the first time we gigged out of state and we went to like an out-of-state guitar center and it could have been in, like I don't know New York or New Jersey, and we're just like, whoa! Look at all the extra stuff they have. And- exactly, your mind is blown. You're yeah. like,
1: wow, they actually have more than just like a red and brown sunburst uh, Strat here. Okay, great. Yeah,
0: and now it's just kind of like, oh, I have to go to Guitar Center.
1: Oh, real dreadful. You know, they they serve a purpose, which is for like this drum machine that I bought. I was, I had, I was looking. I wanted to get a style of drum machine. I didn't really care which brand or which one it was. I went into Guitar Center, like I said, right before the lockdown, because I was like, I need this to be able to write. And uh, I went with my, my roommate, Michael James Roots Music, another awesome artist that's, that's emerging here. Um, like, again, soulful, more country, kind of quirky artist, that's, uh, but he fits into that pie that I was describing. But we went down there. And I was able to buy like the, the, the model that was on the, I was like, Hey, can I get the floor model, man? You know, I worked at GC <laughs> in Brooklyn, you know, cut, cut me a deal. And they're like, yeah, cool, man. Like, let's, uh, you want to get the pro coverage on there and, uh, give us 150 bucks extra. And I was, like, no, let's, let's just rip it off the, uh, off the wall and I'll take it. And, and that is the good thing about Guitar Center. But generally speaking, you know, um, I, I if they went out of business, it wouldn't, it, it really wouldn't bother me at this point. You know? <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: So, so, um, let's move on and maybe we can highlight some, uh, local podcast stuff to start. Tony and I have been fortunate. Um, we, uh, until, um, the virus hit, and, uh, uh, and we've been forced to kind of quarantine. We were recording at what cheer writers club. Uh, now this is a space downtown. Um, And it's a writer's club. So basically, you know, if you're a writer, you can become a member and it's like a working space for writers. But it also offers opportunities for, uh, you know, meetings and um, writing clubs and screenwriting and anything you can think writing related. But they also have a podcast studio. So that's where we like to record because, you know, it's great recording in person um, with the two of us. Um, So Subsequently, we've been able to kind of hitch our wagon onto the What Cheer podcast community, uh, which has been really wonderful. Um, and we've met tons of different podcasters and, um, you know, popped up on some of their shows and they've popped up on our show. Um, and it's, I, I've noticed that there's, you know, there is a podcast community in Rhode Island. Uh, and it's, it's so far, it's pretty good. And it may be um, relatively young because, podcast even though they've been around now for over 10 years uh it's still relatively new as a medium um but it's uh it's kind of exciting and it's fun um so uh what what's your experience like so now being a podcaster
1: yeah i would completely agree that in fact it might be appropriate to say that rhode island should try to bank itself you know we've we've tried we've tried and somewhat unsuccessfully tried to be the film capital of, you know, with our film and TV credits, there's been some stuff that's gone on here, but it's not been the type of deluge of, of content creation that they were intending when they made that happen. Rhode Island could very well be a uh, podcast capital. Um, And as we come out of this economic devastation that we're going to experience for probably a decade after this, podcasting could very well be a way to attract people to Rhode Island, frankly um, businesses and so on and so forth. And, and creatives, I found, first of all, Year is an amazing space. And if I didn't have already, if I didn't already have my own podcast equipment prior to them opening, i I agree. The camaraderie that comes from that is, is great. Um, and there is a community, you know, there's obviously the let's chat podcast with, with uh, Chris Revealy, I believe is his last name. Yeah, Chris Revel, I th- I think it's Revel. Yeah,
0: we so he he's actually going to be on our show um soon, in a few episodes. Um, he, he's trying to nail down a, a topic. <laughs> he, yeah, he he likes lots of stuff. Um, and he likes talking about his pop culture. So um, it's a simpatico for us. But we actually Tony and I were on his podcast. Um, and and what's great about his show is it's really just kind of freewheeling and just good-natured and he's really so enthusiastic and warm and accepting of everyone and so i think that's a nice um
1: approach to any pod- podcast you know oh definitely yeah yeah there's also out of what shear, there's on the beat which is rob dugay's podcast that's a not a local music podcast but it's a music podcast based in rhode island um working girls history autumn has a, a great that she's actually in ireland now but that's another what Shear Uh, podcast. And I know there's tons of other ones. I started going to some of the meetings when they first opened up. And I think they felt like I was, I was a little bit, I was there as like a scout or something like that. And I probably was (laughs) to an extent, like what's going on here. Other people are doing podcasts in Rhode Island now, what's going on. But I was also trying to connect with people, um, looking for that sort of community that you find in music. You know, I get that in um with with the journalist and 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 i guess radio community here where we're all junkies for this stuff you know i mean we 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 live it we love it just just, you know it's talking about headphones or whatever you know uh it's it's and i was looking for that with podcasting and i agree that that what sheer as a space is extremely exciting um there's there's a a podcast and a full disclosure, I produce it here in my loft, so and I'm paid to do so. So it's not, you know, here I am, but but it's genuinely a great show. Um I'm the host is David Hirschman, who's an awesome journalist. And it's called the Blue Economy Podcast. And what this show does is it examines the possibility for Rhode Island to stake its claim on the blue economy, which is basically the ocean economy. Everything from Shipping and seafood and tourism, windmills, um, putting sensors in bays and ports to be able to measure global warming and and you know fish mongers that are you know in on Westminster Street and and whatever it is it's there's a way to connect a lot of the different aspects of Rhode Island around the ocean and. If we can focus in on this one space, you know, as the podcast tries to tell that story, you start to realize, wow, Rhode Island, we should be first in a lot of areas, not like 46th on all these lists that come out, you know, because we have this unique asset of our ports and our, our ability to install wind turbines or whatever. So I've enjoyed that. Um, and again, full disclosure, I'm involved in it. So it's kind of nonsense to be bringing it up, but. <laughs> Quite all right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Chris and I does an awesome podcast. Wees talking Weez to V yeah. and uh, the Blue Album Battle. You know, I like Weezer just fine. I've seen them live. You know, uh, Maladroit was, uh, was a big record for me, actually, sonically and, and songwriting wise.
0: Maladroit. Wow. Really. Went it. It,
1: it, it, it was shockingly.
0: Yeah, I think uh, and Chris and I have talked about this um, extensively. Um, but what appeals to me about it is when they really get into the nitty gritty of the craftsmanship, of the songs. Now, you you know, so Wee's Talking Wee's to the we've mentioned on our show cuz Chris has been on our show uh, for our fish episode. He was our 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 fish guru. Um but his his I guess sister podcast or or their offspring of Wee's Talking Wee's to the is Blue Album Battle where they're um, taking Weezer's the Blue Album and they they kind of pit it head to head against, you know, other seminal 90s bands um they've done episodes on rem's automatic for the people uh they did um fishes uh was it billy breathes um and they have fiona apples when the pawn uh coming out soon uh and then they you know they 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 have like this these series of of matches where they Pit them against each other, and and it's great in the granular when they're really getting into the weeds about um, chord progressions and and, and um, harmonies and and um, recordings and all those things. So it's a it's a really fun podcast, uh, even if you're not a Weezer fan, because I've I've mentioned Weezer in the past uh, this podcast to lots of people, uh, and they always kind of Weezer. Sure what and it's amazing how much depth they've managed to 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 ring out of uh weezer
1: no doubt about it yeah i totally agree um i mentioned him at the top of the show but matt allen is he's he's somebody that has been you know a a lifer at wpro in the sense that he's been in there as a producer and then he worked his way up to an evening host and now he's the midday host but he has his own podcast called matt allen uncut and it's amazing because he'll go for two hours, one-on-one with somebody that is, he just describes it as interesting people. That's the only, the only requirement, someone interesting. And again, wringing out so much out of somebody who you know, is probably going into the interview expecting for like a 15-minute conversation. And all of a sudden, you're learning about you know, decisions that that subject made in like seventh grade or whatever and how it affected the rest <laughs> of their life. Um, and it's been really inspiring to me. I mean, to have, uh, somebody who is is a talk host who is really based on opinion and and kind of quick bites, if you will, going long distance and slowing it down and 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 ringing out again, um, what should be a dry topic and making it compelling, you know. So that's something that I really enjoy and I feel is overlooked. By and large, when when people mention podcasts in Rhode Island, they 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 tend to overlook him. I think it's because people think of him as a fairly right-leaning talk host. But in the context of podcasting, it's just, here's a professional broadcaster, really not a political moment, just interviewing someone. And you get that professional, I guess the nuances of a professional interviewer mixed with the long form. You don't know what's going to happen. So I really enjoy that that show um there's also and and look i'm not a big fan of npr in general i i probably listened to an hour of npr in the last two years um but there's a great podcast that came out of there the rhode island npr called mosaic which focuses on stories of immigrants in rhode island immigrant communities immigrants that you know again it zeros in it's really, really interesting stuff. And it's super overlooked. I'm not sure that it's it. I've never really seen it on any list. Um, but it's produced by Rhode Island public radio. Um, but it doesn't air on the radio. It's, I mean, it's an actual podcast. So again, you get that element of professionalism, quote unquote, which is different, you know, not to say that w- what you or I do is unprofessional, but I think it, it, I like the fact that we come from an indie background and your podcast sounds great, you know, and there's no question about it, but when you have the bumper music and this and that and the other, it's interesting to hear that side of it as well. And what money can do <laughs> to the podcast without it sucking, you know, without it sucking the life out of it. Um, so I enjoy that. I think one thing that I've noticed now is I've seen people attempting to do podcasts in the crisis here. They get one or two episodes in, and then they disappear. And a lot, you know, you see these ads for, you know, get anchor, get some app, and you don't even have to buy a mic. All you have to do is start your podcast tonight. You can have, you can be famous with your podcast. And it's becoming more and more like music, in my opinion, in the sense that it's fucking hard. And people are starting to realize that, yes, it's fun. um, And it may not be hard, like this conversation isn't hard that we're having, but Everything leading up to it, everything after it, everything about promoting, um, that is really difficult. And getting people to want to tune in on a regular basis is extremely difficult. So it's been fascinating to watch how many people have come out. All right, here I am. You know, I'm not going to name names here, but, you know, here's my podcast. And boom, you know, they just disappear. They fizzle out after two or three episodes. And it highlights those shows that have made it to episode 10 or 20, or 100, or whatever it is. And everyone that we just mentioned has, has gone to that point where the commitment shows. And who, you know, somebody back to NPR, Scott McKay from NPR, Rhode Island Public Radio, who's been around for, he was at the Providence Journal. Now he's their political commentator. One time he told me, you know, don't look at numbers. You know, he's like, you know, I write my commentary online. I, I don't even check the amount of people that look at it. And, you know, of course, I think we all are curious about how many people listen to that episode, but there's something to be said for once you get to a certain point, just saying, you know what, I've got an audience, people are listening and leave it there. And the earlier you are in the process, the more difficult it is to not look at the numbers. And when you look at and you go, wow, I've had 58 downloads this month. Uh, that's motivation to quit. I'm sure for some people. And uh, so it's just, it's, it's about persistence. And it's been interesting to see that there's a bunch of Rhode Islanders that are persistent in this space because it's very easy to give up early on.
0: Yeah. I mean, I mean, for our show too, we, um, you know, we we kind of pride ourselves in doing deep dives on our subjects. So if we're talking about a movie or a book or even a comic, like we want to, approach it with as much care and consideration as the things that i listen to the podcasts i listen to that excite me where i want to watch the movie along like i watch the movie and then listen to the podcast or you know listen to the album and listen to the podcast and that's kind of what we want to do and you know we we really enjoy it and we enjoy the conversation um but i you know, and I assume that there would be a decent amount of work, but I never really realized how much we put into what we do. Um, and, and obviously I'm not, you know, we're, I'm not trying to pat ourselves on the back. Um, but, but it, it, I'm,
1: I think you really should. I mean, you're, you have an excellent show. I mean, I've listened thank to you. several episodes, um, in, in, just, just in the last few days. And I've, I've certainly caught it before. I the first one I listened to, I think was probably when Chris did the fish episode. Um, you know, that, that I was like, yeah, you've got a great report. You guys have command of what's happening. That doesn't happen from walking in the studio and going, all right, guys, what do you want to talk about today? You know <laughs> what I mean? That is the preparation side of things, just like music, just like writing a song. You know, it's um, from the time that someone hears it for the first time, hopefully, to the, for, you know, from the time you create it, the original idea to the time that it hits Apple Podcasts, everything that goes into that is the magic and i think a lot of people forget that wow it's it's um you know it's not literally live guys or, or two girls or whatever people just just going back and forth uh riffing you know it is sure. but there's a lot of fundamental information and skill that goes into that as well and especially love- when you have a co-host I miss Tony. Oh, um, <laughs> um, Another podcast
0: I'd like to highlight. And, and, you know, they were also guests on our show. We did an episode on the Beatles. And if you can imagine like someone, you know, obviously, you know, you know me. I, I love the Beatles. Um, but we had two guys on and, and they had never really listened to the Beatles. And their podcast is absolutely wonderful. We guested it on their show, too. Um, you're a perfect fit, uh, Bill, um, for their show. And it's called You Can Do It, Do It. Um, and, uh, it's Steve and JP and they interview people that have tried something new, uh, and how that maybe kind of changed their lives. Um, they do a lot of local businesses. Um, they interviewed us as podcasters, like, you know, you're, you're relatively new to the podcast, uh, business and what's that like trying this new thing? Um, and so they've done, you know, uh, the people that run the Nitro um, Coffee Cart, um, the the fancy bagel place uh, that's over um, off a of- Rebel. Yeah, um, you know, um, so it runs the gamut, um, but really thoughtful questions um, and 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 great voices, great podcast voices so i would you know they've been on our show so again maybe that's a little cheating too but uh they're you know, that's a it's a wonderful podcast um
1: local podcast yeah there's another great local podcast it's it the name is it, they've been around forever um uh well two actually that come to mind one is wicked roadie which is with mary larson and ben decastro Ben's someone who I, I i absolutely love and he's made he's had a huge impact on my quote-unquote career um, in media, he's he's a he's a tremendous talent, multi talent. He's one of those people where he, you know you hear him on like he's on. He'll do a something on Channel Ten. He'll do he'll fill in on Cat Country in the morning. You know he just he's kind of He's the Paw Sox announcer. You know what I mean? All he has all of these roles. Um, but he and, and Mary Larson they do a great job of just highlighting what's going on in the state. Yeah, it's a little bit, it's probably skews more towards like a 45 year old audience, but they do a great job and they've been doing it for years. And same with Chuck and Brad, the Chuck and Brad podcast. They do a great job. They've been around since like 2009 and they do live events at the Comedy Connection. Mm -hmm. They get cool guests and they work super hard on the show. And it, it, it's, we were guests. Oh, were you, oh, you all? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah.
0: <laughs> they were on our show too. Um, I, uh, was unavailable for that episode, but that's pretty fun. They, uh, Tony and Chuck and Brad talked about, um, the Roger Corman fantastic four movie, which was never officially released. You can only see a bootleg of it. And it's, I mean, it's, it's like, it's, it's really low budget garbage. Um, but uh, if you if you've never heard of it, then check out that episode with them. But we were on their show and we talked about uh, *Parasite*, um, the movie *Parasite* that uh, won uh, Best Picture this past year. So, which feels like a lifetime ago at this point. It's crazy, <laughs> yeah.
1: It's been like 90 days or whatever since this all really started to unfold, and it does. I mean, yeah, it's 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 mind-numbing to think about. You know what life was like before i mean it 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 really is shocking that in in just two and a half three months the routines that we're in can change so much that all of a sudden we're like oh yeah you know hosting an open mic in Newport like will i ever do that again like an open mic how how disgusting from a virus transmission standpoint is that 20 people sharing a mic sharing a pen you know i had someone from Navigan Credit Union on yesterday. What a a guest. I mean, you know, it could could be a snoozer for some people. It was actually compelling to me. But I was like, what are you guys going to do about the pen on the chain at the bank? And she was like, oh, yeah, that's gone. (laughs) You know, that's not not there anymore. That's got to go. Just all the details that are going to be erased from society when we return. um, It's going to look a lot different. It's going to be less human contact. And that's scary. That's a really scary thing.
0: Before we started recording, you said you were doing like a a uh, kind of like a live stream of,
1: of some performance. So, uh, is that something you're seeing more and more of? Yeah, too much. I think. I, I think there's there the the inundation occurred where it it got to the point where probably people are less enthralled by the thought of oh my friend's going live. You know now now it's so frequent that it's uh, it's difficult. But what I was just on is was PVD live, which is this girl Chrissy Stewart woman chrissy stewart i should say um she's our age so she can go either way all right but uh you know and she does this thursday night show where she gets like five or six artists has like a a cash app donation type thing and uses her platform to present people you know you just basically perform on her her channel um for you do four songs that i really liked because i I know that I'm reaching some people that are that are my friends that are watching or whatever. Maybe somebody came over from from the Bartholomew Town world, but playing to other people's audiences—that I think is the value of live streaming. Um, when you just do it on, like I've done a few, just on Facebook, it's you can see the drop off over time. You know, the first time I did it, it was like, holy, you know. Like, like 500 something people. And then all of a sudden you're seeing it like cumulatively got into the thousand plus range. And I'm like, Whoa, man, who needs anything else? This is all I'll just do this. <laughs> now you're seeing it. You're like, Oh, there's seven people watching right now. Okay, cool, man. Yeah. Big shot here. You know, People <laughs> scroll through and they go, whatever. My friend well, Dave Fleman does every Tuesday night. He does Tuesday's tunes. He's had a similar experience, although it's great. And it's now more of just like a gathering of our friends watching him play at the beginning he was getting much bigger numbers and I think it's just a product of people are bored with sitting in front of Facebook, watching things live, unless it's something new. Yeah. I mean,
0: with, as far as the, the, the zoom kind of things, uh, zoom live things are going, there's also all these kind of like table reads for TV shows and whatnot and the popping up. And I just, I just watched the community one the other day the TV show community, which I really love. Um, So it's been really interesting and a lot of people doing live performances, but even on something like the late night shows, um, they're all having live musical performances. And what's fascinating for me is watching people where you could tell it's an actual live performance. And other ones where you're just like, well, there's no microphone there, and you're not going to get that your voice to sound like that with no microphone that close. So this was a pre-recorded thing, and and you're just kind of lip-syncing or something like that. So it's been interesting to kind of see that. It's uh, it's kind of funny.
1: Definitely, Willie Nelson had on 420. He had his festival, Luck Reunion, was canceled, so they did a live stream there. It was amazing. Like it was actually, I was actually like so compelled and like like just filled with emotion watching this thing because it was just so beautiful how you know one intimate it was but two how much, how many technical issues occurred how raw it was going from artist to artist the problems that they had people playing songs together and the and the delay making it sound like garbage but the vibe continuing and they did a great job of overlaying some pre-recorded skits and commercials that and then coming back to the live angle, even there, there were only like 6,000 people watching live at any given point in time. And you're like, this is Willie Nelson. This is amazing. This is the best thing that I've I've seen in the entire crisis. Um, but I think there's a lot of people who are, once it, once they tune in, the, the people are conditioned to such high quality content now that when they see Willie Nelson behind a table with no mic, just kind of playing, playing a song with his son and, You know, the camera's a little, the phone's just a little crooked and there's a Zoom delay Skype kind of sound or whatever it is there. Some people turn that off because they're like, wow, this sucks. But to me, that drew me in and it was so compelling. I was like, man, we're all, the, the playing field is leveled where everybody's on the same page here. We have this app that is, that seems to be, kind of the, the, the new portal with Zoom and, and obviously Facebook Live and so on and so forth. And it's an equalizer, you know? But the broad audience now, I think, is getting bored with it. And I, w- I mean, it, it may come back to, but um, I bet we had a moment in time where live streaming, and I'm not talking about like on Twitch where people are live streaming video games or some of the YouTube shows. Those will always be there. I mean, the people who started live streaming at the beginning of the coronavirus lockdown, and, and are now continuing to do so. I think that period's coming to an end. So, are there any other uh, local things you want to highlight before we wrap things up? Rhode Island has is, is got such great local content. Going back to the, the radio station WPRO, that is, you know, the fact that a court, Cumulus Media owns this station, you know, a conglomerate, and most of their properties are you know they're going to run some garbage syndicated stuff for most of the day maybe they have a local morning show maybe they have a local afternoon show but the fact that there's a profitable entity that's running rhode island stuff from 5 a.m to 9 p.m and then on the weekends running stuff as well that shows that in that space there's a tremendous audience you know and you know I have lost a lot of interest in things outside of Rhode Island, you know, be, since I've been back because musically, um, news-wise, general content-wise, there's so much going on here that, that is genuinely interesting. I'm not like a real big cheerleader for the state. Like, I'm not like, oh yeah, everybody should move here or something like that. I mean, there's a lot of problems here. You know, it's really divided. Um, it's almost like two different states in the sense of like the rural portion and and the urban core, and not a lot of empathy between the two sectors. Um, you know, there's a lot of nonsense with housing and rentals, and you know, it's tough to live here and buy it. I mean, I'd love to buy a place in South County and move back to the turtles and the freaking birds and and where I grew up. Um, that's that's a stretch right now for for me at, at best case scenario. Even if I were offered a, a gig that was full-time at one of the places that I, that I'm a freelancer at. So, but at the same time, there's something here that is really compelling our food. Um, and you know, I think you can enjoy Rhode Island content without having to think of yourself as a local yokel because there is national and global grade stuff here. And there's a hyper-local audience that really wants to consume it. That's, that's terrific. That was really nicely put. Um, so so where can our listeners find you RIPodcast.com. that's where that's the, the easiest way to, to find my show um, or Bartholomewtown on Apple wherever you're listening right now, I suppose, um, Apple or uh, Spotify, whatever. Um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at Bill Bartholomew, um, Instagram also Bartholomewtown Podcast and then uh, on Rhode Island PBS every couple of weeks on Friday night on a lively experiment and once the lockdown is over right now, the station is shut down and, and there's no fill in host happening at WPRO. But once, once the lockdown is over, I'll be back on the radio at 6:30 AM and 99, seven FM WPRO. Um, probably a couple of times a month taking calls. So keep an ear out. Terrific. Thanks. Thanks for coming on the show. It's, this is, this is great. So Matt, what are you talking about next time?
0: It's funny you ask because, uh, we've mentioned him already, but Christopher Nutt is going to be, uh, uh, our first returning guest, and we're going to be talking about Jurassic Park. Holy most, I got some Jurassic Park action figures over
1: here. Chris, Chris has never seen Jurassic Park. Come on, never seen it. Isn't that weird? I feel like he'd be the one that would have like the mosquito inside, like the fossilized mosquito ne- necklace nope. from day one. Never seen it. So we're gonna we're gonna break it down. It's a movie that
0: I have fond memories of from my youth, uh, but becoming an adult and becoming obsessed with Steven Spielberg, I kind of rate it as a second tier Spielberg as an adult while still appreciating it. So uh, we're going to get into it. And and hopefully that should be a a real, knowing Chris, it'll be a lively conversation.
1: It shall be. It's just like a tier above Congo. You know what I mean? (laughs) Awesome. Thanks again, Bill. Yeah, Matt, thanks so much. I'll send this over to you. Awesome. All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to What Did We Miss? You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at What Did We Miss? And you can find previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. And thanks, as always, to the What's Your Writers Club in downtown Providence for hosting us. You can follow them on Instagram and Twitter at What's Your Club. And you can get more information about what they do on their website at whatcheerclub.org.